Welcome to Making Sense of Movies. I'm Elena. I'm Claire. And welcome to the podcast. This week's episode is classic literature as teen movie adaptations. And just like before we start, there are some movies that we both really wanted that are not on this list. But unfortunately, this episode is not Shakespeare adapted as teen literature. It is classic literature. So there are other other literature besides Shakespeare here. I think we only have two Shakespeare's. So yes, and now really we're cutting it down. Yeah, so mm-hmm. many Shakespeare team. Yeah, so for all of our Shakespeare fans out there, we really apologize. But maybe if we do a second episode, we'll get more Shakespeare in there for you. Yes. Um, our first episode is oh, episode. Our first movie <laughs> is Valley Girl. This is from I live 1983. It stars Nicolas Cage. And I don't know who the other actress is. I didn't recognize Deborah Foreman. Oh, thank you. And this is our Romeo and Juliet. I would say a very, very loose adaptation of Romeo and Juliet. Um, It's set in California, L.A. And we have Julie, who is our Juliet. And she kind of lives in this very privileged, very rich area. I I don't know where they are in California. I know. I kind of forgot. Um, I love her parents. Her parents are like very, what you would imagine, like earthy, crunchy. They own like this really nice cafe that I think would be really popular today. And they just kind of like let their daughter do what they want, like what she wants. And then her Romeo is, what was his name? Um, Randy. Randy. They switched it up a little bit. So instead of Romeo, he is Randy, played by Nick Cage, who's very attractive in this. Um, oh, I know. I definitely thought he was attractive, but he's more of he's the bad rock and roll kind of boy. So just like you used to have the Montagues and the Capulets, you have Preppy and then yeah, the rock star. So their worlds they're going to collide, but they shouldn't be together. Even though I personally thought that they really didn't do enough here to separate like oh these are two completely different people just because I agree I feel like Julie in this she she doesn't really fit the type of like totally preppy like most popular girl in the world which I feel like they wanted her to be that but it was more of just her friends being the popular girls like to me it was believable that Julie and Randy could end up together and it wasn't some big feud of they can never be together because of who they are. Yeah, I wasn't. There's like a big thing in the movie where she's like, I have to choose my friends or I have to choose Randy. And I'm just like, why are your friends making you choose? Like, yeah, I don't no, understand yeah. that. Like, I was like, there's, they're like, you can't date Randy, like whatever. But like, they're not giving reasons. They're not like, yeah, and- oh, he's a bad influence. He's mean to you. He doesn't care about you. It's just like, no, he's punk. And it's like, he lives in Hollywood. He goes to Hollywood, like high or whatever his high school is called like yeah and I was thinking that too it might have been good to have like particular reasons for Mm -hmm. why they couldn't be together but also it is like very Romeo and Juliet to not have any reasons of why they can't be together because that's how like the two families were where it was just like a few that had been going on for so long that yeah there really wasn't a legit reason why the people were actually fighting each other yeah, and 
Yeah, and then, like, I would say not much happens. So you, like, start off the movie with, like, very much a montage of kind of who Julie is. She likes to shop. She goes to the beach. She very casually breaks up with her really terrible boyfriend, Tommy. That scene was so funny because... Just like most movies of this time, they're at the mall because the mall's the place to be. Shopping. And we run into Tommy, who's her her boyfriend at the time, and mm-hmm. they break up and really neither of them seem upset at all about it. It what just happens. Tommy, or I guess Tommy is Tommy upset, like, but it is so he's like so he's like telling his friends, yeah, like I broke up with her. My favorite part in the beginning of the movie was when he's like telling his friends, he's like, Yeah, she's really freaking out. And the next shot is just her chilling on the beach, not giving a shit. Yeah, but like at least that mall scene where they're initially breaking up, that's like a two-second long scene. I agree. Like yeah. it just felt like no hard feelings. But yeah, I do agree though. After that, Tommy does want her back and then downhill from there. He's it's downhill from there, yeah. Tommy, Tommy's an asshole. But the interesting thing about the movie is that, um, at least from Julie, they really try to hide how much Tommy is an asshole because the one main scene that sticks out to me is that once they're at a party, which is where Randy and Julie will eventually meet, uh, Julie, uh, or Tommy sees that Julie has no interest in him anymore and tries to go after one of her friends. Laura. So there's a yeah. So there's a scene where they're together in the bedroom, and like the friend doesn't want to go along with it any longer. And Tommy all of a sudden turns it around on her, saying like, "Oh, you're such an asshole friend for getting with me right after we had broken up." Where it's like, are you literally not doing the same exact thing to? Yeah, Julie? and just being very like, kind of you know, borderline sexual assault in that scene. Yeah. Where he keeps mm-hmm. like kissing her and making out, and she's like, I don't like want to have sex with you. Like, you literally mm-hmm. just broke up with Julie, and like she's my friend. And I thought that would be like a like a bigger plot point in the movie. Like, I thought that Lauren was gonna be like, Yeah, like Tommy was such an asshole, and like, yeah, I'm a bad friend, I did this, but like he was trying to sleep with me. Um, like, you know, and I was like, What? Um, but you forgot they didn't mean at the party. When she was at the they, beach, well, they were at the beach out of the water and they lock eyes and everyone's yeah. like, he's good looking. And she's like, yeah. And everyone thinks he's normal. I guess normal, but like their version of normal. Mm-hmm. And he comes into the party and he's wearing red and black leather and his friend has red hair and they're punk. <laughs> and that's their defining character. <laughs> you can tell they're punk because all the other boys at this weird party, they're all wearing stripes. You're not, you're not at this party unless you're wearing stripes and they're just not. And I also, I want to bring up this party because, (laughs) okay, so the parents are there. The parents are at this party, which I kind of thought was weird because normally I, in parties like this, the parents are always out of town somewhere. It's always the kids just doing their thing. Okay. But that wasn't the part that bothered me. They were serving sushi at the party and I'm like, what party? Give sushi. I just had no idea. Made sushi. My first thought, I was like, sushi at a party sounds good. That's what I literally wrote down in my notes. But then you see the sushi and it's really gross looking. Yeah, like I'm, I love sushi. I just feel like to have it sitting, and this has nothing to do with the move, but just have to, having sushi sitting out out there all day doesn't seem like a party food. I I agree. Mm -hmm. Um, Other stuff about this party, the dancing's super weird. Oh yeah, there's a lot of swaying. A lot of swaying. Um, 
everyone all the guys have box collars which I love <laughs> um, mm-hmm. but the other part was when um Randy and or no when Julie like spots Randy he's just like talking to his friend and they're they're like kind of trying not to look at each other mm-hmm. they're like very clearly staring right at each other and they're I, I believe like two feet apart <laughs> we're so <laughs> yeah close. Mm-hmm. I was like why are they so close like this isn't it doesn't look cool. It's not like you're staring at someone from across the room. They're like two feet away. Yeah, and like she's just... not surrounded by anyone. Mm-hmm. She's just standing by herself staring at him. It was lingering for uh, quite a few more moments than I thought it would. Yeah. And then once they like, he kind of comes in with a move. Um, he starts you know, talking to her. And that's when Tommy becomes an even bigger asshole. Mm-hmm. He just like, he, you know... He's like spreading rumors that he like slept with her and I don't know. Wait, no, that's Lauren. I'm reading my notes wrong. Yeah, he said that he slept with Lauren, even though he yeah. didn't, and he shamed her. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry. This is when he starts a fight. Tommy is like, you know what? I can't see my girlfriend who broke up with me because I'm an asshole with talking to another guy. Um, so he fights him and then Randy gets kicked out of the party. Along with Fred, who's the funny sidekick in this with the red okay. hair. And he has a really funny line because at one point he says to someone, do you want to dance? And then obviously the answer is no from this other girl. And he was like, I was just taking a poll. And I was like, who is this guy? You know, my other line is he he's talking to some random girl. He's not talking. He approaches a girl and he's like, how's your mom? And she just goes dead. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's true. Yeah. Um, the oh other my God. Oh yeah. What's best about this party is the stepmom flirting with the high school student. That is exactly what I was going to say. That was such a weird plot line, which comes up maybe one other time in the movie, but it's just never brought up again. And weird, like they kind of continue it. I forgot mm-hmm. what the the what's his name the but the, oh Skip, Skip and Susie's the daughter, and mm-hmm. you know she she likes Skip and you're kind of like oh that's weird like the mom's first you're like is the mom flirting with skip and then you're like yeah, i know, think so mm-hmm. you're like yeah. yeah he is like they're 100 and then you're like is skip like also kind of flirting with the mom and you're like yeah and then he like delivers groceries and there's like a weird plot point where he goes to their house and their house is unlocked and like he doesn't know who's home he's like oh i'm just getting a book from Susie or whatever and and you think he's having sex with the stepmom, but really it's Susie. And I was like, where are they going with this plot? Yeah, I just have no idea. And I was trying to think, like, maybe there's something, another subplot to Romeo and Juliet. I'm just forgetting. But I kind of don't think so. Yeah, it was. Maybe maybe what it was is they're trying to do an, just an homage to The Graduate in some way. Because also the very last shot of this movie it's very similar to The Graduate as well. Uh, so maybe that's um, what it is, but it did seem, it was entertaining, but out I, of place for this movie. Yeah, it was, I was just like taken aback. I was like, wait, mm-hmm. like how does this relate? Cause like Susie's like, oh yeah, Skip likes me, blah, blah. And I was like, girl, he's flirting with your stepmother. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> mm-hmm. um, oh, so back to, you know, how Randy and the main plot, Julie the main plot. reunite. He, he breaks, so like he's driving, um him and Fred driving back like fuck this like we're gonna go and then he's like you know what 
I like that girl, and no one's going to stop me from seeing her. So he does what any normal guy will, will do. He goes to the bathroom and waits till she shows up. That is, like, I have no idea why they had made it that choice, because it just was... Maybe they're just trying to show again, like, oh, he's edgy. That's what he does. I think it's, like, a plot in Romeo and Juliet. He, like, waits for her to come out on the balcony. But I was like, why did you have to interpret it like this? Because on the balcony, like, when he's outside and she's on the balcony, there's, like, space. And they're outside, and it's, like, a little bit different. It's not quite as creepy. And here, where he's literally hiding in the shower, and, like, people are, like, making out and like doing drugs and just like going to the bathroom yeah (laughs) because they could have had they could have had that same homage if he has to climb in through a window anyway so if he was to like in a romantic gesture throw rocks at the window like happens in all the movies that would have been like okay now she's inside he's outside we've got some, some space between them and it's like more similar to that balcony scene yeah, it just, it was not a good interpretation of that scene. It just made him seem really creepy. Really creepy. Um, I, yeah. But then like she afraid. she leaves, though, with yeah, him and there. one of her other friends. She forces um, Stacy to go with her. Yeah, and I also thought the car ride scene was also kind of awkward because it was Randy yelling out the window a lot. Yes, and not a lot of co- yeah, and not a lot of conversations. You'd think it'd be like, oh, like, tell me about yourself because we still don't know each other. But there's really not a lot of, like, getting to know each other scenes. There's... Well, the, um, you're at the, the end of that I would say, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would say the reason, like, why I'm personally rooting for them is there's one great montage later okay. in the movie where the song's playing I Melt With You in the background. Yeah. It's a super cute montage of them just, like, doing romantic stuff together. And I don't know, you just really gotta give props in this case to Nick Cage and Deborah Foreman for their chemistry because truly besides their chemistry there's nothing to really bound these characters at all yeah I, I I would agree it's not you don't you don't know much about Randy you know mm-hmm. much more about Julie Julie I think it's a bit more like characterization but like mm-hmm. Randy you just know he's into punk he goes to high school in Hollywood like, there's not much else you know about him, but I did like the scene. I don't know. I kind of thought there's that scene where, so after they leave the party, they go to, he takes her to, like, a punk club, like, a show, and they're playing this song, and they're just kind of, like, staring at each other, and it's, like, all this, like, red lighting, so you kind of know, like, love is kind of going on, um, and I thought that was really cute, and then mm-hmm. when he goes to her parents' restaurant to kind oh, of I did like want that to hang out with her. I like mm-hmm. that because he he's he always like shows interest and this is where like I feel like the movie gets kind of weird because there's just like this like they're like you know what we need to have conflict <laughs> so they're like you know what Tommy's coming back and he's gonna he's gonna go to to your friends and say that um they she need Julie needs to get back with me but I was like, but they're not giving like reasons. They're not, they're just like, he's not right for you, which I guess it's like very Romeo and Juliet. But like, I don't know. It was just like kind of odd. And like her friends just went with it, even though it was her choice to break up with him. Yeah. Like, um, but then also like when they say, oh, get back together with Tommy, Julie also just kind of goes for it. And she's like, yes, all right. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, no, continue. 
Yeah, no, because there's the one scene where they're at the diner and it's the scene you were talking about before where it's either you have to choose us or you have to choose Randy, but you can't have both. And Julie's like, guys, what the heck? Like, why can't I have both? And the friends lie saying like, oh, Tommy's been talking about you saying that like he wants you back, which like was a lie. But then, well, it's true, but like, I don't think he had ever told the friends that, had he? No, he didn't. And Lauren, who's her friend, who knows how shitty Tommy is, like, won't say, doesn't say anything. Literally doesn't say anything at all. Like, she has these, like, moments where, like, she's kind of like, you do what you want, but, like, this Mm -hmm. should happen. But, like, you feel like, 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 oh, she might say something, and, like, nope. And the worst part about this is that she just kind of, like, goes back with Tommy and doesn't tell Randy. Yeah, because then Randy shows up at her house and he's like confused. Yeah, and she he, she tells him to go away and like it's just it's upsetting for Randy because he just like doesn't know what's going on, thinks like, "Oh, is it your parents? Like, let me talk to your parents, like I can work anything out." Mm-hmm. Which really just like Julie, why why are you getting back together with Tommy? You don't even like Tommy. I know. And like Tommy was so ready. He like had that he literally was like He's like, yeah, I'm gonna have a talk with her and gives her a bracelet. Mm-hmm. But like, she has a talk with her dad, and her dad, I think, like, the one thing I also like really love the dad character in this movie because he's like giving solid advice. He was like, it doesn't matter like what someone looks like, it doesn't matter like what social circle they run in, but it's like you have to think for yourself. And then she proceeds to not do that. She proceeds to think like what her friends want, which I guess like it makes sense. She's kind of like, what do like I want my I like my friends. Mm-hmm. But also like are they really good for you like why do you like your friends just because mm-hmm. they obviously don't want her best interest yeah and she's back to being boring julie and tommy boring once again and then yeah randy falls apart uh makes out with his uh um ex-girlfriend in a bathroom where other people are just walking in and out mm-hmm. so- but then he, randy takes a stand because Julie and Tommy are going to be prom king and prom mm-hmm. queen. And Randy shows up and starts beating up Tommy behind the stage, right as the curtains are right as the curtains are opening up. And then I guess Julie has another change of thought and is like, you know what? I'm I'm with Randy again. And then they run off practically into the sunset together and just leave yeah. Tommy and everyone else behind. I do like how they so Tommy had like this whole night plan they had like a hotel room booked and they're like you know what we're just gonna take it for ourselves Mm -hmm. I will say though before like this moment his like grand gesture he was like be really aggressive he was like following her he's putting messages on the radio putting pictures of them in like her notebook I was just kind of like sleeping on her front yard yeah that was that was that was, was definitely creepy was even like, like that's stalkery <laughs> it was yeah and it was even conflicting at the original moment when julie broke up with him mm-hmm. because she did say even though like we're all still rooting for randy she did tell him multiple times no and he doesn't listen that's true which I i'm think- like randy i'm rooting for you but like you gotta respect what she's saying yeah i agree like that was it was a lot where i was kind of like well come on like she said no like can't you just let it go but uh he didn't and then he got the girl so I don't know what type of message that's sending yeah and towards the end I was thinking 
Like, uh, when's the Romeo and Juliet suicide coming into play? Like, how are they going to interpret yes, that? Which, which they kind of just don't. But, I mean, we're not rooting for these characters to die. So, but I, I was thinking, like, are they going, is there some kind of symbolism that they're going to show to represent these deaths? But I think they really just took the opposite sides storyline and like breaking them up storyline and we're just like we're gonna do that and it's gonna be the 80s and it's gonna be different (laughs) (laughs) i think it might have also been good instead of having the other side adventures that we were talking about before with like the stepmother Mm -hmm. um what about showing how randy's friends feel like if they had ever met julie besides of course fred yeah yeah Mm -hmm. i agree like you didn't see enough of like what was you know the Montague's side? I don't know. Is Romeo Mont? Yeah, it's Romeo Montague. Yeah. Um, like their side and kind of what was going on there. It's just it wasn't. I would not say like a very faithful adaptation, and like it's not supposed to be. It's uh, it's obviously taking Shakespeare and putting it in high school, but still, like it could could have been better. They could have imbued more stuff, or they could have just mm-hmm. adapted things differently. <laughs> Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. And it's still definitely a very entertaining movie. If you like 80s music, there's a lot of good 80s yeah. music. If you like they- We're Dancing at Parties, there's We're Dancing at Parties. <laughs> I do agree. This was directed by um, Martha Coolidge, which I think definitely plays into the fact that, like, Randy wasn't as creepy as I think he could have been. Because I think if this was a different actor and she was directing him differently it could have been completely like inappropriate and Mm -hmm. pass off to her because with the script she was given (laughs) can't imagine yeah okay so would you if someone was saying like i i want to watch a version of romeo and juliet like are you are you recommending this movie to them I wouldn't say, like, oh, instead of reading the play, let's watch this movie. I would not say that. I think if you want to be entertained, you want to see, like, a young Nicolas Cage, I would say do it. Because it's fun, and I had a lot of fun. I think the music choices are really smart in this movie. It's a lot of, like, upbeat, really classic 80s songs. Um, I really like the kind of distinctive styles that all of her and her friends have. Just some of the stuff they're wearing, I was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I don't know, I wouldn't... I wouldn't go in being like, you know what? Like, this is exactly Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'd agree with that one. I, I would recommend it, but I'm not sure watching it again, how much you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Um, so with that, let's go to our next movie, which is The Half of It, which was both written and directed by Alice Wu. This is the first movie I've seen of her, but I've heard of... She did a movie called Saving Face that I've been wanting to see. I like this movie a lot. I was interested in it, but I feel like for me personally, it kind of falls in the same categories as it's a Netflix romance movie, which kind of isn't my cup of tea. And Uh yeah, so I was a little more cynical of this one, maybe as more than I should have been, but this is also, it's based on um, um yeah a modern day Sierno and you were reading this earlier but it's essentially the life of a nobleman serving as a soldier and all of the uh Sereno adaptations are all about like 
tricking someone into falling in love with you by using someone else's words. Yes. And mm-hmm. that's the basis that Alice Wu took and made out of this movie. Um, where I like that it's different is that obviously it's um, starring a non-white actor, which a lot mm-hmm. of Shakespeare and classic literature, adap- European literature adaptations always do. Um, they also make this one queer. So instead of the usual, they kind of like gender flip, or not gender flip, they switch some of the genders around. So it's instead of it's two guys trying to get a girl, it's a girl and a guy trying to get a girl mm-hmm. um, instead. And I don't know, for me, like I didn't see this as much as a love, like a romantic love story between, um, what's her character's name? Um, Ellie. Ellie and- Aster. Aster. I saw it as like a friendship movie between Ellie and Paul because like for me, like that was the core of this movie was their friendship and them both figuring themselves out and becoming, you know, more outspoken in their lives. And that was like what I took away from it, which is why I liked it a lot because I liked where each character ended off. And I read an interview with um, Alice where she talked about like she wrote this movie because or like she started writing this movie because when she came out, she lost one of her best friends. Mm. And it was kind of about like, oh, like that was her first heartbreak. And she kind of wanted to write about that friendship. But also she talked about how like the main three characters, Aster, Paul and Ellie, like they're not, the whole idea is that you're not meant to, like in normal teen movies, you're not meant to be like, oh, who ends up with you? Like that wasn't her end game. It was just supposed to be like these three people like impacting each other's lives. And then they go off and they do something else. Like it's not, which is why I liked it because it's not there's no end goal of romance like it doesn't have to be because they're off doing their own thing and still happy I thought they were getting a second movie though I'm what seriously I'm, I'm yeah no that. no I, I read somewhere yeah the half of it was getting a sequel which makes sense because like you were saying they go their separate ways but I feel like they'll eventually come back to that same town hmm interesting well I don't the director and writer is in i don't know if she's gonna be the one doing it again that would be that would be interesting to see if she was but the the, where i fall apart with this movie is i felt very bad for aster at the end of it because i feel like she was emotionally deceived by both of them and that's where i was kind of like i the relationship between ellie and paul super wholesome they have a lot of good scenes together understanding Mm -hmm. each other but at the end of the day like Esther or Asterisk went on to believe that either her and Paul were forming this relationship or her and Ellie had been forming their own relationship. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. it was Ellie helping Paul to write letters and sent text messages when it was not him the entire time. Yeah. And I think was, that's just mm-hmm. like a hard thing to do anyway. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like a lot, like a lot, there's, there's another like teenage adaptation also a Netflix movie that's based off Cyrano which is uh Sierra Burgess is a loser and like people like hated that movie because it was they just took it too far in the like deceiving end mm-hmm. I don't know for me I felt that like they had like this kind of time jump they had enough time for Aster like she was rightfully upset and she didn't necessarily for like completely forgive Ellie like she was in her own right but like also she took away from that experience and was like you know what like let me you know because she 
she, you know, kind of goes into this because she's unhappy with her current relationship with Trig. What's it about Yeah, what kind of name is Trig? And wait, that's the part that... Yeah, the Trig scenes I didn't understand. And I was just sort of confused on the relationship status between Trig and Aster. Were they officially, like, boyfriend and girlfriend? He proposed to her. Yeah, because he proposes to her at the end, but meanwhile, Aster's going on all these dates with... Well, I guess they can't be dates because Aster does say, like, we're We're just friends friends still. Yeah, because she's still dating Trig. Still with Trig. Yeah, yeah, she should have broken up with Trig from, like, the start, because they really had nothing in common. Yeah, and she also, she has a very strict father um, Mm -hmm. that she talks about. Um, I don't know, I do like the the movie kind of ends and kind of has different sections with, like, quotes. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was funny. It was either, like, quotes from, like, Oscar Wilde, and then by the end of the movie, it was quotes from each character. So you have a quote from Ellie, and then you have a bunch of emojis from Paul. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And essentially, like, kind of wondering, like, why would Ellie write these letters and why does Paul do it? And essentially, he kind of tracks her down. She's very much known for writing letters, not writing people's papers for school for money. Um, Her father, I can't tell, like, what does he do? Um, Well, he was was an engineer and he got his degree in China. But then when he came to the United States... um, he couldn't get a job, which is why he started out working at the train station here, but it was only supposed to be like a starter job okay. until he could get something better, which is why she doesn't want to like leave the town mm-hmm. that she really like really doesn't like that much because the father's still yeah. there. And like she he can't pay any of the bills, which is why she's uh taking money from people to write their papers and then um why like they're about to turn their power off at home but paul says i'll like give you 50 bucks if you help me with this letter and that's the exact amount that she needs yeah and yeah no i think to the father it's not that he can't pay the bills it's just that he his he says in there like he's like oh like my english isn't that good and she knows that and he and she's kind of like you like have you tried talking on the phone he just kind of Mm -hmm. won't obviously Mm -hmm. learn later that his wife died, her mom, and he kind of has become in this state of just, like, not progressing. Mm-hmm. She kind of does his job for him. And he yeah. just kind of sits and watches TV. And you, he's obviously, you know, he's an engineer, he's very smart, but he's just kind of depressed since mm-hmm. the mom died, which is really sad. Um, and obviously, well, at first she says no. Then she needs the money, and she's like, you know what? I- I'll do it. And she's like, it's, it's just going to be one letter and also just by the way um the actor who plays the dad was in the matrix because my sister and i are watching this together and we recommend (laughs) Um, and i do like the fact that when she's like first writing the letter she's like you know she like just takes it from a movie that she's watching right there right because she's really never experienced romance in her own life so like even though she's incredibly smart and can do Uh like six different papers um, all in a different per- like perspective for the same subject for all of her classmates. Like this is like more of a struggle to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and then Aster recognizes that it's from a movie and is like, and it kind of, and that's what intrigues Ellie where she's kind yeah. of like, oh, like she's not who I thought. And you can tell that Ellie like knows who Aster is. I feel like everyone does. Mm-hmm. Um, but 
one of the things I did like was I think the moment where I was like, oh, like this is like, oh, Ellie likes Aster was when they're in the bathroom together mm-hmm. and like Ellie's washing her hands and she's kind of like looking at Aster through the mirror and Aster also looks. And then they, girls are being mean about Aster and she leaves and it's kind of like this moment where you're like, oh, like Aster isn't this like perfect girl and there's also like this moment where you're like oh like maybe Aster also likes Elia there's some sort of flirtation yeah. going on between them that neither one wants to necessarily acknowledge um, but as they write more letters obviously Ellie gets to know more about Paul but Paul also gets to know more about Ellie they do where there's a really cute scene where like kind of like a training scene where this is later in the movie. This is like, I think after they meet for the first time, Paul and um, Aster. And it's just like them playing ping pong, doing conversations. Cause one of the things in the movie is that Paul isn't, he's not good with words and he doesn't like really, he just, he can't comprehend what he wants to say when he speaks. So she's kind of like, I have to teach you how to have a conversation. So they do it through ping pong, which is really cute. Mm-hmm. And he's also like running after her on the bike when she bikes to school. Oh yeah, I always like those parts too. But once again, like the date scene between Aster and Paul, they're just so awkward. And oh, you I feel agree. you feel bad for Paul because like you want him to um like get over his struggle of kind of not being able to talk to her. But mm-hmm. it was those scenes were always really hard to watch. It was just all these long silences and Paul he- saying all the wrong wrong things because Aster really believes like oh he's this guy who's into like classic literature which Paul's just completely not at all yeah and it's not that he doesn't try he does say like afterwards it's like I tried reading that book mm-hmm. it's just like not his thing and oh they do this thing before so before they meet they do the kind of the painting thing where because oh, yeah. uh, Asa talks about how she used to paint a lot and she doesn't anymore because she was too nervous about kind of making it right and she's Ellie kind of comes up with this idea where they just are spray painting so someone spray paints something and the other one kind of goes to complete it and that was really cute and they also like talk to each other that was a cute scene even though like it is like deceiving because Aster does think it's Paul doing it but you obviously the audience knows it's Ellie I feel like I was thinking Aster she must know that it's not Paul like she's so smart how could she not know because like I don't know if I was in Aster's position and I was like really into this relationship I might like linger around that area and be like oh like what it's after school is anyone gonna is Paul gonna show up and like spray paint something yeah I agree I kind of thought she would like wait and see but I think there's kind mm-hmm. of like this unspoken code yeah between them um but one of the funniest scenes was when I forgot when it was it's when he asks her, asks her out um and he's just like want to go out a bunch of emojis and she's like you can't you can't do that so she like ellie sends a bunch of texts and it's a bunch of like three dots and then disappearing and three mm-hmm. dots and disappearing and i thought that was really funny just because it's very relatable yeah no that is mm-hmm. i'm trying to think what else happens in the movie the one thing i did kind of thought like it kind of goes into a weird direction and I don't know if like that was the intention to kind of catch you off guard but there's a lot in the movie there's kind of like these like religious undertones 
one of the first shots in the movie is like this guy yelling out from a church. They they read a lot of the letters. So Paul and Ellie will read a lot of letters in church or in the confession mm-hmm. booth just next to each other reading it or on opposite sides of the confession booth reading it to each other and figuring it out. And then at the end, so at the towards the end of the movie where Paul, I think, starts to develop feelings for Ellie because they're spending so much time together and they really are becoming like much closer. Mm-hmm. And he and he kisses her and it's when he does that that she kind of she's kind of like, what are you doing? And he is kind of like, oh, and he sees Aster and she kind of like not freaks out, but she's like, it's not what it looks like, whatever. And he realizes that, oh, she likes Aster. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of like, it's a sin you'll go to hell. And I was like, where did this come from? Mm-hmm. That part where I was like, I don't, I don't know. It just, it was kind of, for me, it felt so out of nowhere for Paul and his character. Where I was like, why is he all of a sudden shunning her? When, in like before in the movie, when they're talking and she starts to talk about because she's like, oh, what do you like about Aster and Paulus stuff? And Ellie starts to be like, oh, you like when she does this and this. And he's kind of like, oh, do you like her? And he didn't seem like weird about that then. Yeah, no, I was thinking the exact same thing. Because you'd think the second time, like, if it was something that was really upsetting him, it would have came up a lot earlier after that moment the first time. Yeah. That it did when they had kissed. Mm-hmm. yeah it was it was interesting I was just like I don't understand and obviously that leads to I think Paul <laughs> one of the more funnier scenes in the movie where Paul looked up on his computer like what makes you gay mm-hmm. and his mom comes in and sees it and then he makes this whole speech at church about how like just because you love someone differently like doesn't mean that that it's wrong and his mom is like it's okay if you're gay <laughs> he's like what are you talking about I like that. Thought it was funny. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about uh, there's two like things that I really like about about this movie. One of them was, and this is flashing back to towards the beginning, but the relationship between Ellie and her teacher I thought was very wholesome. Yeah. And then the other part I really liked was whenever Paul was talking about his passion for the sausage industry or like the sausage. Yeah. Um, like company that him and his family run because he's so into that and he wants to like change the family recipe so badly to make it better but he's so nervous about um what his mom will say so like in this scene you had just brought up in church like after he says like oh like I'm not gay he was saying like oh but I do want to change the sausage recipe and the mom like flips out because of that but I don't know why but (laughs) whenever him and the sausage company came up I was like that actor makes it him seem so passionate about this that I'm just like really into whatever the hell this is he's so smiley like he's kind of like a dog like a puppy yeah he is so optimistic like it's when like that scene where he's like oh you're gonna hello that was why it was so shocking because it's like he's generally so happy throughout this movie and like he knows what he struggles with but he knows what he loves and he knows what he wants to do I also love he kind of forms a relationship with Ellie's dad yeah because you know and they kind of like cook together and he gives him meat that was really cute mm-hmm. um I'm trying to think what else I I, don't know, I like this movie I liked when um through her friendship with Paul she kind of starts to become more confident so she they have this whole senior recital and she had to 
uh, she's gonna play the piano and some fucking assholes decided to cut the cut the piano strings so she couldn't play and Paul obviously notices and sees that she's kind of freaking out and gives her a guitar and was like oh like play that song you you wrote like it's really good and she does and everyone like all of a sudden really likes her and Trey was really weird he 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 I wrote this and I was like ew he kind of goes when did Ellie um get kind of hot and then she goes to a party afterwards and they, when she goes in they all just call her Chinese girl yeah not not sure why that was in in the script at all that was yeah I kind of thought that was just like a way to show that they don't actually like care Mm -hmm. about her Mm -hmm. it was just kind of like oh like she's the hot commodity right now yeah and they barely they don't know her name that's the point like Mm -hmm. they just know her as the Chinese girl in their class which, like, at this point, they should know her name just because, I mean, besides being in the same class and being a decent human being, but she is the one writing for most most of the papers for these kids, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, I was like, you think you're paying her. Yeah. You can have her on the fake Venmo they have in the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I also like that after the party, she gets really drunk and Paul just takes her back to his house to sleep. He notices that she's been writing to food critics for him about mm-hmm. the taco sausage. And I was like, oh, like she really does value their friendship. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's after that party where she is when you see our first like one on one hangout with Ellie and Aster, which I like. They kind of go to this like hot spring and just kind of chill there. Yeah, they listen to music and also uh, religion comes up again because they're talking about like if they believe in God or not. Mm-hmm. which um Astra is very, like very religious but then um Ellie is not she's atheist so that's one of the things they talk about um and just kind of average bonding stuff I'd say and kind of just they're both really into the like classic literature can have like very in-depth conversations with each other which really yeah. no one else in the movie has been able to do with each other mm-hmm. yeah I, I agree and I guess it's towards the end of the movie. They have this whole big kind of, everyone's taking speeches at church. It's basically the end of the movie. It's after Paul tried to kiss Ellie and Esther saw. Um, obviously, I think at that point, I can't tell, Esther doesn't know at that point. It's when, um, like, Trig, and during church, Trig decides to propose. And Esther says yes. And Ellie is like, you know what? Like, no, this isn't happening. Um, and Trig thinks it's because he, she likes him, which he goes to her at one point in the movie and is like, I know you love me. And she's like, what are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. I was like, why, Trig? Like, why do you think this? And then, like, Ellie makes this whole, like, kind of beautiful speech about how, you know, how do I start her speech? (laughs) It's basically just what she thinks about love, really. Like, that's what everyone's speech is about. It's about what they think about love. And they're all just kind of trying to say the same thing that they love Aster without specifically saying her name. Mm-hmm. And that's when Aster realizes that Ellie was the one who wrote it. Because I think she she says a line that Aster wrote. Yeah, they're all... Five um, breaststrokes. Yeah. Um, and she goes and she slaps Paul because obviously Paul was deceiving her. Mm-hmm. Um, and... 
you kind of I think for me like I was like okay like this is how it's gonna end because I mean I when this situation happens like you don't think it's gonna end well for the person who's being deceived you know like she's not gonna forgive both of them and she doesn't really um and then you know Ellie decides to apply to Grinnell which is I learned was in Iowa because I looked it up and this is what the teacher was wanting to do like you should apply to other schools and her dad kind of was like I'm gonna support you like I'm you like you should do this you shouldn't stay here and it was really nice he makes her a bunch of dumplings to take to um school with her and she gets in um and, and then, then Paul, Paul patched things up yeah and then Paul runs after the train just like the movie they had been watching earlier and that was cute because originally Ellie was like completely making fun of that yeah. movie but um now it's happening to her uh and she laughs about that um and then I did think like the one of the last shots was super weird it's just like Ellie looking around at everyone else on the train and I was like what does this mean it's like very defined shots of every single person yeah. like most of the people on the train I kind of thought it meant just like a new life for her because the beginning of the movie is like what she does every single morning she wakes up yeah. she does the train she bikes to school those people yell at her <laughs> from from biking to and from school she gives her essays and like and it's none of those are ever about her it's mm-hmm. always about someone else and I felt like in this last moment it's like what she wants and it's her alone and even and she you know she's like you know what I'm gonna keep with my friendship with Paul and she goes and talks, she like apologizes to Aster and she kisses Aster in the end. She's kind of like, I'll see you in a couple of years, which I thought was kind of funny. I was like, you're not going to go home and you're dead. Mm-hmm. But, and then it's where you learn Aster decides to go to art school. So, and, oh, and Paul changes the sausage recipe. So everyone's like on doing their own thing. Like there were some issues I had with this movie, but overall I would say very enjoyable. It's not one I can personally recommend, but... <laughs> Oh, I'm so sorry. I just can't. No, it's fine. I, I like this, I think, more than you did. I did also like the very, like, high school-y things that she put in in this movie, whether that's, like, the talent show or when Paul scores a touchdown, everyone's cheering and they're cheering were on the board mm-hmm. because they're such a bad team that they've never made a point, which I found really funny. There's even, like, a poster of him in like a later shot that is funny and I would always watch high school movies and be like oh like they would never do that at a real high school put up like the football players poster but then like one year they did that at my high school they put up like these huge posters of all the sports players and I was like what the heck is this no I went to two high schools and one high school uh-huh. they didn't do it the other high school they did I was like and I remember like I saw it too and I was like I was like laughing I was like seriously and our, because our, our football team sucked. We were so <laughs> bad. I was like, really? We're doing professional photographs mm-hmm. and we're doing these banners? Oh, that's so funny. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I would say this, like Romeo, not Romeo, like the Valley Girl took the essential plot of the movie. The beats, some of the beats of the plot work. So when they meet and it's a disaster, that's part of Cyrano. The second time they meet when she's kind of texting her that's very much like an updated version of one of the points in Serena where he takes over for Christian mm-hmm. like basically just talking the whole time so that's 
kind of I would say like that the like she did like I think she set out to write this movie based on something she had experienced and wanted to do it set in high school but she took good beats from Cyrano so give her props (laughs) yeah all right well our next movie it's a classic everyone knows it it's um Easy A directed by uh Will Gluck so I remember watching this movie for the first time just because it was so long ago. I ordered it on a Netflix DVD. Back when, it was one of my yeah, it was one of my first times doing that way. That's crazy. Both of um, us. <laughs> yeah, so it starts um Emma Stone as Olive and Easy A, it's a twist on the Scarlet Letter. A book I did not like. <laughs> no, I didn't like that one either, but um it's essentially Olive starting out with one lie which branches off into a bunch of different lies which spirals her life a little bit out of control and makes her into a person that um she never really was throughout high school yeah and Mm -hmm. it starts off as like a vlog she's she's talking to the audience um about like what's gonna happen she tells us she's like it's not one of those invisible girl teen movies and the one thing about like this kind of vlog style is that this movie is very self-aware I that's what I wrote as well it's very aware of the movies that came before and it's just like playing off of everything and sometimes being anti those movies and then sometimes playing right into like John Hughes-esque things Mm -hmm. I, I agree and I think that's what for me made this different from so many other teen movies is because it knew what it was like it it, like knows what it's making fun of but it's also bringing something new to the table Mm -hmm. so if you don't know what easy a is i highly suggest you watch it but essentially she lies about losing her virginity to this college guy because she didn't want to go to her friend's camping trip with her very odd parents who like to not wear clothing and just smoke weed all day i don't know how they make money they have a very nice house they do they've got such a nice house yeah so interesting and what she actually does that weekend which is one of my favorite parts of the movie she gets this card from her grandma and it just plays pocket full of sunshine which is a song I really liked and she's like Mm -hmm. the song sucks and it's just a montage of like her weekend of her just like singing the song aggressively getting like more and more into it to a point where she like later in the movie gets her ringtone which oh, I really yeah like. and it's so funny because they chose that song because of quote-unquote how annoying it was but I, it's yeah. a bop I listen to that song every time it comes yeah. on and just yeah. like that song super upbeat and then there's all the songs are just like so upbeat in this movie so it's really like um I don't know even though it does have some darker themes in it yeah like some of the it's, jokes didn't age as well yeah I do admit, like, the bathroom scene where she um, is, like, okay, fine, like, I slept with him um, is one of my, like, I just, I wrote down so many quotes from that just one scene. So, essentially, like, she doesn't say that she slept with him. Her friend assumes that, and she just kind of goes along with it. Mm -hmm. Um, And quotes from that entire conversation, and this is when, what's her name? Um, Amanda Bynes' character. Marianne. Marianne. She kind of starts the rumor. Um, So, when Olive is describing kind of like how it was, she says that he he, he lit laid candles, but like 
sexy glade candle <laughs> which is like it's funny to me because like of course it's a high school thing like you know what glade candles are but it has to be sex because yeah. you're having sex mm-hmm. um and then my favorite quote from that entire scene is when marianne goes no olive looks at marianne and, and goes what are you looking at sister christian and marianne goes just a couple of admitted whores <laughs> okay yeah amanda Bynes is so good in that role so well cast she just like the beasts of her like she's very intense in certain scenes and just the writing is just so on point in this movie because there's just so many like short lines where you're like if you just really listen it's so funny Mm -hmm. and then they do this twice in the movie where when they have a rumor going around they speed up everyone kind of like following a person and seeing how they go through which the second time I was like do we need to do this again the first time I was like cool like this is great the second time, I was like, why? Like, we get oh, it. Yeah, I really, lo- I, I'm glad it was in there. I think two times is the appropriate amount because so, yeah. I feel like it did a good job of showing just rumors spreading in a way that's not boring of just flashing to people, like, all on their phones. Like, yeah. I mean, I feel like in other movies like this, they'll show every single person looking at their phone at the same exact time, which is what they did in the half of it. Yeah. Which was, I mean, wasn't a rumor, but just mass communication I suppose mm-hmm. but I just thought it was very style stylistic how it, it was done it was a choice mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and then we get to meet her family who her parents are played by Stanley Tucci and Patricia Clark so and they're so good every scene they're in is so funny hilarious mm-hmm. um and she has a younger brother who's adopted mm-hmm. which also is a great scene um in that movie and obviously in class, they're reading the Scarlet Letter, I thought, was like, of course. And they, uh, and yeah, they know she, that too. And she Yeah, because she's like, it. isn't that the way it always is? The book you read in class always seems to have a strong connection with whatever angsty adolescent drama is being recounted. I consider this. Except for Huckleberry Finn. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Which does end up being... I know, that was what... Yeah. I thought that part was... All the references in this, they're all just very well done, whether yeah, they're they- subtle or just like very in your face. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the more subtle ones. Well, yeah, I'm going to put that in the more subtle category. I would I would agree. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, she ends up getting detention for calling a girl bad name. Um, and she, one thing I thought about was like, I understand she was meant to like, she's dressing up to play this part especially before she starts to wear the lingerie she's kind of like dressing up this part of like she's like oh I'm the school slut like I'm gonna act it but like mm-hmm. she goes to detention wearing wedges and she's cleaning like, oh that? yeah like who who wears wedges who wears wedges to school no one does no one does but not only that yeah. she's like mopping yeah I was like really like that was a choice mm-hmm. the one thing I was reading about though is whoever did the screenplay for this movie and like Emma Stone and one other person like none of them had gone to high school for like a long period of time um I forget the why the screenwriter didn't go but I know like Emma Stone obviously like she was a young actress so like she was doing movies but uh, at least the screenwriter said that it actually enhanced his experience having not gone to high school because he was able to see high school in general from like an outside perspective and could make it this like kind of fantasy world yeah instead of something like more realistic I agree and I think this does become like a very heightened like California 
high school, like everyone's very rich. Everyone's, you know, and they and I feel like in some of the scenes, people do dress like everyday kids at that time. Like it, it looked, you know, and then but obviously she's meant to be excessive in her dressing. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is where she meets Brandon, who she basically is like, "You are gay. Like maybe you shouldn't <laughs> act mm-hmm. act that way." Which I was like, interesting. So he kind of takes it to heart. He's kind of like, you know what? Like, and she told him that she didn't really have sex. She said it was like, it was just a lie. Mm-hmm. And, it's and he's like, you know what? Like, we should pretend to have sex because high school is mm-hmm. really hard. And I want to make it easier for myself. And they do, which is also an, another good scene. Creepy a bit where they pretend to have sex at this girl's party. And every single person is like surrounding the door. Mm-hmm which is creepy, funny, but, like, like watching this now. A little cringy, a little cringy. So cringy and creepy. Mm-hmm. Which I was, like, interesting. Yeah, um, but then they leave, and um, Brandon is getting, like, all the acclaim now, yeah. and she- Olive, though, is getting all these dirty looks, so that's just, like, you know, just classic sexism for you there. Like, a man has sex, everyone's excited for him a woman has sex like oh she's just such a slut yeah like she talks to Todd after this like Mm -hmm. who's paid by um Penn Badgley and like there's these guys in the background like making like lewd gestures at her Mm -hmm. like dude like you were just cheering her on yeah like five minutes ago and now you're gonna make fun of her Mm -hmm. and basically and the one thing I like didn't get about this movie is so she basically kind of um she people Brandon kind of tells some people that oh she like didn't really have sex with me it was just pretend kind of like for clout essentially mm-hmm. um so all the other guys start coming up coming to her and she's like oh and the rumor started that I was having sex for money and I was like you want that rumor like that's illegal you're under age like what mm-hmm. no and like the teachers knew about this too like you can tell when like, she was the guy in the closet. She's like, oh, like, you were the one, like, people are talking about. And I was like, I felt like the precautions, the right precautions were not taken to her. The fact yeah. that it was rumored she was a prostitute in high school. Yeah, and they do send her to the guidance counselor. Way who just like, Yeah, way later. But, like, the guidance counselor just essentially does nothing because she has her own terrible bad thing she's doing of having sex with um one particular student who um, mary ann had been going out with and Mm -hmm. even though he's technically of age it still doesn't make it right because it's like a high school student right um because yeah he's a high school student but she had given this high school student chlamydia and they and all of her all of takes the fall for because she's like my reputation can't get any worse than it already is and I don't want to see your marriage fall apart guidance counselor because like your um your husband is like my favorite teacher here which that is so inappropriate yeah he's as a as a literal like 16 17 year old is taking the blame for like a whatever for like grown woman and she just Mm -hmm. accepts that and then um so throughout the movie, she kind of, she starts to wear lingerie. She gets in a fight with her friend. And she's like, you know what? Like, and someone suggests in class, like, maybe you should embroider a red A. And she's like, taking that to I heart. I will. I will. And Don't when she kind it. of decides to, like, 
get her life together and she wants to start to get people to tell the truth she's kind of like we didn't actually do this so she goes to the guidance counselor and she's like who are they going to believe you or me and I was like that's disgusting yeah like you're terrible like this she's coming to you she's having a really hard time because she's taking a lie for your terrible marriage like no that was like yeah you deserve to lose your job Mm -hmm. and yeah the guidance counselor is played by uh Lisa Kudrow aka uh Phoebe from Friends and she does a really good job too like a pretty solid supporting role of like you really are like this girl's awful yeah yeah it was just like mm, mm. um I'm trying to think there I like when so once Olive kind of starts to you know become known for having sex with all these guys um Marianne and her Christian group are kind of like trying to pray for her and one of my favorite stars is where she kind of starts to cry and she's like it's just really hard like you know to love the the whores and the homosexuals because they just keep doing it yeah, that was, was like that yeah was like, so hard. <laughs> I had I had that line written down too I thought that one was funny yeah I was like I was like great um and also there's a montage of like she goes through the different guys and what they give her but one of the things about the whole movie is Todd Todd stays real. He's kind of like what I would characterize a bit as like, you know how there's like Manic Pixie Dream Girl? They yeah. do have like versions of like Manic Pixie Dream Guy. It's not like as popular. He kind of is one of that because he's unwaverly nice, like faithful to her in a way where he's like, yeah, I don't believe what they say. And he's like really nice to her, but we generally know nothing about him as like a besides character. He, yeah, besides he is the mascot always for yep. their high school so at first um he was the blue devils until um mary ann decided this isn't right to be the devil so now they all call him woodchuck todd because he's like a, a, a beaver a woodchuck yeah, yeah. A woodchuck i guess so a woodchuck's an animal i believe this movie made it seem like it was an animal yeah for but, sure yeah and i would say like like they're really cute in the end obviously like you know that she likes him but you never know if he likes her, even though I, I found it quite obvious that like, he was constantly, like, finding a way to talk to her or, like, going out of his way to, like, say hi and then also being a generally nice human being when everyone else was treating her like shit. Mm-hmm. That was, too, like, interesting. Yeah, um, and but- we we do establish from the very beginning that um, one of the reasons that Todd does not believe these rumors going around is because he also, back in the early days, they were playing Seven Minutes in Heaven and Todd was too young to kiss Olive, didn't really want to, and just said, hey, can you just tell everyone we had kissed? Mm-hmm. Even though Olive really did like him at the time and like really was looking forward to actually kissing him. Yeah. And I would say everything goes to shit when Micah, instead of saying he slept with his guidance counselor, says he slept with Olive. Mm-hmm. And they have this protest, like all the students are like, I don't really know what they're pro, and I think it's that's the point that like, you don't really know what they're protesting. They're just protesting I, all of being there. Yeah, like which doesn't really make sense. My favorite part is when there's a Quiznos. I was gonna guy, say that the Quiznos guy, who like, and she she, she was kind of like, you always got a got a chance to market yourself, like go capitalism. I was like, that was great. Um, I wonder, like, do you think Quiznos was a sponsor somehow? maybe or that was like i don't know it's something like when i was in high school like there was a ton of quiznos commercials so it was just kind of like oh, a really 
Mm-hmm. No, maybe it was like a South Florida. They were just really trying. It's like I yeah. knew what Quiznos was. So for me, I saw it was funny because I was like, oh, like this is something I remember being very prevalent in my high school years, and now it's also mm-hmm. prevalent in this movie. Um, I never had the same experience with. I always saw <laughs> the Subway commercials, but yeah. never the Quiznos. That's true. I did go to Subway once. <laughs> it was all right. Yeah, catch us on our next episode of what Subway sandwiches we order. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and things get even worse when she kind of goes through the fact where, and she does this in the, the second guy who was like, after Brandon, this guy comes up to her and is like, oh, I know, what, like Brandon said what he did. Can I pay you to say that we had sex? And she was like, no. And then she goes to him and she's like, if you had just asked me out, like a normal human being, I would have said yes. And that's like what the sad point of this whole movie is that all these guys are going to her to get this clout when like they're so insecure in themselves they can't even believe they they would ask anyone else they would just automatically Mm -hmm. know so instead they're like it's like a I would say it's it's a beneficial relationship in a way but it's also like they're both taking advantage of each other her for their money them for her own like you know her own like security and things like that but she gets asked out by Anson, and um, he thinks he's really gonna he's gonna pay her to really have sex, and he's very forceful and very creepy, mm-hmm. and it was very sad because she thought it was a real date. Yeah, but then uh, that's right after their um, their Red Lobster date, so that's when her and Todd like really start to bond after that. Mm-hmm. And that's when she decides to like get her life together. She's kind of like. I need to do it. And that's why she does the blog. It's because mm-hmm. she wants to, like, she no one would say the truth. She's like, you know what? I'm going to say the truth. This is also mm-hmm. where she has her song. This is also another callback. So when she taught in the beginning of the movie, she's like, oh, this isn't like, you know, like, she was talking about how she wants a John Husack moment where she's like, oh, why can't guys do that? She's like, I just want like a random musical number. And so later in the film, she does do a random musical <laughs> number so people would tune in to her kind of live I guess it's a live stream um mm-hmm. live stream blog and she gets her happy ending though because Todd comes up with a boom with a the equivalent of a boom box yeah and he's on a, a lawnmower too yeah he's on a lawnmower he really combined yeah go go and, Todd go Todd yeah and the movie that the lawnmower was I remember I hadn't seen it when I initially watched this movie now I did I was like oh I remember I get it now I good? still haven't I, I hadn't seen that movie before but that's not as good that's also it's like a movie where she like takes this nerdy guy and like you know makes him popular and whatever it's not mm-hmm. a, but it's Patrick Dempsey oh yeah mm-hmm. he's quite cute in that movie and I would say and, and she does kind of say at the end she's like yeah like this cut does kind of relate to Scarlet Letter because it goes through those themes of like ostracization and like rumor spreading and things like that so I was like it does mm-hmm. except she doesn't have to die at the end which yeah. is Scarlet Letter she dies like a horrible death yeah and there's no comet in the sky with an A true yeah, yeah someone put about the book I was I started laughing when I read that part in the book I was like, <laughs> can't be real I thought mm-hmm. no author didn't write this part but it's All true right. Oh, uh, any final closing thoughts on EZA? I would say it's it's that so worth it. It's still so funny. 
Yeah, I would say as far as classic teen lit goes, this has got to be in like the top three best and or most known ones. Yes, I would say. The next one is a controversial pick. As people, as I read reviews of this, either hate this movie or love this movie. This is, oh, this was, let me see who was directed by. Give me one moment. Oh, it was directed by um, Tim Blake Nelson, who's an actor. He was in, if you watched Watchmen, he's in that, like the TV show, he's in that. He's also in a bunch of other stuff. He always plays like a Southern guy. He's in that movie you liked, Buster Scrooge. He's the main guy. Oh, yeah, no, I definitely remember him being in that. Um, And it was written by Brad Kaya, who I don't think has written anything else. And, well, anything else that I know. Um, so this one is a modern adaption of once again William Shakespeare um Othello which is a I wish you guys could see our video because we do so much during this vid maybe later we're just like yeah we're like out here giving peace signs to William Shakespeare okay sorry (laughs) so it's it's about a general who's going to wed a woman and we have another love triangle here someone else wants to wed that same woman so pays uh, another man to help split up the general and this woman so that they can be together. So Athelio is essentially the same thing, but instead of generals and the army, it's with basketball in high school. Yeah, it's so I so like of the reviews I I read of this movie because I was I was talking to my brother about it. And he's like, oh I heard that movie was terrible. And I generally like did like this movie. Um I hadn't read Othello before this. So I don't know like obviously after I read about what happened but like watching it I didn't know the beats and everything like that and my main takeaway for this movie was that it doesn't address the themes that it necessarily did in the plays like the themes of like masculinity and racism and things like that um it doesn't necessarily address that and I do agree so the whole point is that Odin who's our Othello character he's the only black kid at an all-white school and you never know how he feels about that but the fact that he's on scholarship to play here which he he mentions and other people mention Mm -hmm. and it was just very it's like you never hear his thoughts about until like the very end you never hear like what he's thinking about the fact that he's at this school and it's basically on a chance like they can take away his scholarship and it's only that he's good at basketball that he basically continues Mm-hmm. at the school that's why they gave him the scholarship so I, I do agree like the themes here were not as strong but I found this movie highly entertaining I did too and it I was impressed at how complicated the scheme was in it to have these yeah. two because it's the, our main characters here it's Odin who is the basketball player I, he's only a sophomore but he's really incredible at it and then really Jesse who is his girlfriend sounds long term um and at the beginning of the movie like they they genuinely love each other like they're they're a cute couple and it's hugo who's trying to split them up for in this case roger who wants to be with desi and that's kind of funny because like literally we don't learn anything about roger poor like we don't know we don't know why roger wants to be with desi at all but it's more of those things where it's like we just need this for the plot, and Hugo's going to do the rest of the work. Yeah, and truly, like, Hugo is, like, a full-on, like, sociopath. Yeah, he's a like, psycho. 
not care. And he gets like his reason for doing this essentially is that his father is the basketball coach. And you can tell they did some like background kind of in when he goes home to dinner and then also the way the father treats Odin that obviously like he doesn't have his father's love. Mm-hmm. And in the beginning of the movie, there's um, he gets kind of the M- Odin gets the MVP. And he's like, he's like, you know what, I can't do this MVP if it wasn't for like this one person, you know, always throwing the basketball to me, like really, like my second in command, and Hugo thinks it's going to be him, but really it's Mike, who is also funny enough, my, the guy, the actor who plays Mike, and the actress who plays Desi are both from 10 Things I Hate About You, which is another Shakespeare team movie. Oh yeah, uh, Julia Stiles, she's in, I think she's in Hamlet as well. Yeah, she does a lot of uh, yeah. adaptations. And so that's it. Like that that moment, like literally like the next scene is a party after he gets the MVP. Um, he goes like, I'm gonna break them up. Yeah. I was like, I was like, hmm, interesting. And this whole movie and like Othello as well is like about like the seeds of doubt are planted. So it's like a very complicated plot. And I do agree like some of the stuff that happens I'm kind of like that's not really believable in high school but I was taken away when we're at like a private you know um boarding school I was just like this is great and he so Hugo first tries to break Odin and Desi up by basically accusing Odin of raping Desi which obviously has other meanings because he's the only black kid in the Mm -hmm. whole school and I thought this was going to be like, oh, like, they're gonna, you know, they're really going to, you know, arrest him, but Desi ends up admitting, like, no, we're dating, and mm-hmm. we've been dating for four months, and that's, like, the first seed of doubt is planted, mm-hmm. um, which is when the dad kind of tells Odin, like, she deceived me for four months, what is she lying to you about, and I was like, that's a weird thing to tell, not the son, this was the father, sorry, the basketball mm-hmm. coach's father that this is the principal is Desi's um father and I was like that's a weird thing to tell him like that's a child and you're an adult yeah and then I would say the next main thing that happens is Hugo at a party starts a fight between Roger mm-hmm. and the very drunk um Michael so he can be suspended from the basketball team for starting a fight mm-hmm. and the reason for this is so uh, um, Hugo can tell Michael that hey if you want playing time you need to get close to Desi because Odin will only listen to Desi and the coach my dad will only listen to Odin so if you want to get back on this basketball team that's the route you have to go and in doing so Hugo is also pulling the strings with Odin saying like hey like Michael and Desi have been hanging out a lot more often like I shouldn't be telling you this, but I just want to like stand up for you. And the way he originally plants those seeds is um, he's very intriguing about everything he does. He's like, oh, I got to tell you something. He's like, no, no, I can't tell you. Which, of course, when someone says that, it's like, okay, well, now you have to tell me what's going on. Mm-hmm. And he, yeah, so he starts to kind of signal to Mike to kind of, um, talk to Desi in the middle of basketball games and kind of sitting close to her and then he signals to Odin like hey I've heard some things between happening between Mike and Desi 
And my favorite thing is Hugo goes, white girls are snaky. And I was like, you're the snake. Yeah, you're the biggest you're snake You're literally here. the snake. Like in this entire movie, I wrote, I wrote, I wrote it. I was like, Hugo's a snake little bitch. Mm-hmm. In my notes, I was like, I fucking hate this man. But yeah. you gotta admire him a little bit. He's so smart in how he sets something on. And I wrote him and I was like, he's setting the scene for something big. But you don't, you can't really tell what it is. And it kind of goes like really intense. And it kind of, oh wait, um, yeah. It kind of like goes into like death category. Like so many people die in this movie. Yeah, um, Hugo's death count at the end of this movie is pretty high. Pretty high. Um, and it's when, yeah. So once like Odin is kind of clued into Mike and Desi, like what he thinks is Mike and Desi sleeping together, he gets really weird. He starts to kind of follow them. And at this point, Hugo's girlfriend, Emily, steals the scarf that Odin had given Desi as like a really personal gift he said like oh it's a scarf it was my grandmother's I'm only supposed to give it to special women and previously in the movie before the fight at the party he had kind of put a rubber band around Desi's finger being like I want us to be together so you know they're very serious about each other and kind of Hugo once again putting the seed in Odin being like oh like I saw um Mike give the scarf to his girlfriend and Odin's like no like Desi would never do that so he's kind of like where's the scarf Desi she's like I can't find it so they but they're supposed to be going on this trip so they're like she's like I'll find it when I get back and this is where he gets like really paranoid and they start having sex and she tells him to stop and he doesn't which is a very uncomfortable scene and this is where I feel like they kind of gloss over this like assault she talks to em about it and emma's kind of like this is an assault like you told him to stop and he didn't and she's kind of like no like that's not really it and i was like and then that's it like it's kind of never mentioned again after their initial conversation yeah which i feel like that particular scene like at least what because he does rape her which and they could have absolutely had that cut out especially because later on they want you to still be rooting for Odin and want him to like get through this and like have him kind of overcome everything Hugo had done and set him up like you kind of want that but then after this scene you're kind of like oh like it it just seemed very unnecessary especially after they had that great shot of him looking up into the mirror and instead of seeing himself having sex with Desi uh, they were showing her having sex with Michael instead. So yeah, it's like, if you so... had just had that scene, like that particular shot, like you could have gotten everything across that you needed to. There's, if you're not going to bring up the rape again, and they're like, emotionally, it's not going to come up again. Like you, they should have included it, I don't think. Yeah, especially because like, very soon after that conversation, he goes in and accuses her of not being a virgin. Mm-hmm. And she's kind of like, well, ask me what you want to ask me. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't play these games. Don't do this. Because she's like, I love you. And I don't want to do this with you. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, I think Odin kind of is shook by this. And he kind of starts to get off his game. He's not playing as well. He gets violent with Michael at practice. Starts and, taking drugs. Yeah. This is Hugo's doing. Hugo's like... Mm-hmm what's wrong <laughs> one of my notes was like was, was like Hugo asking what's wrong with Odin like he didn't cause it 
which is true like Odin's mm-hmm. all, like Hugo's always there yeah he's always kind of behind the corner figuring something out how he can do it and there's kind of like this dunk contest I guess and all these like scouts are going to be there so Odin he like has been sleeping so he takes coke I guess to keep himself awake well, so I was like dude why is this happening and and this is at that point like after he takes the coke is when Odin is kind of like Hugo you're playing games with me mm-hmm. like he t- he's he, he's like why are you telling me Mike is being with Desi when Desi's telling me like that's not true and kind of Hugo has to backtrack and also one of the lovely lines Hugo says he goes like I really want to be in your shoes because like, <laughs> obviously Hugo does not understand what it means to be Odin Mm-hmm. this era and like the pressure that he's on and what it means to be this like black man in an entirely white community um, yeah and then also in that scene we see him like push down a little boy after yeah. he like does a great job at the slam dunk so we kind of do see that more of a villain turn for him there because once again it's like all right that's completely unnecessary unnecessary you don't have to go after that little kid like that yeah and people just like really boo him Mm -hmm. like and even the coach is like what's going on like he would never act like this and it's I think after that game or shortly after Hugo and him are hanging out and Hugo's like giving him drugs and very clearly not taking them but he keeps giving them and he yeah and I was just kind of like oh he's like he's like clearly trying to influence him trying to really get him down to influence him more for this big plan that he has right and the big plan is they are going to kill Desi and Mike. And Odin is going to strangle Desi. And then Roger is going to shoot Mike on the way to the basketball game. Yes. Um, which to me, I was like, I didn't see this coming. That's like a really big jump from everything else that has happened. Yeah. It was and huge. I was kind of struggling to see because uh, Hugo's whole thing is he wants glory. Mm-hmm. and usually I had seen that in the sense of like sports glory being the best on the basketball team since that's what they implied earlier but I was like what glory are they going to get out of killing Desi and Mike at that point it's like he's a, he's just a psycho like he, the glory is maybe him being able to pull off the plan he had from the beginning which had nothing to do with uh, what Roger was paying him to do yeah, and I cannot believe Roger still listened to Hugo. Once yeah. Hugo got him stabbed with glass. Yeah. Like, not obviously not on purpose, but, like, that happened because of a plan Hugo had. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, I was, like, shook it because it's when he, I think he has a fight with Mike about, oh, because this is also one of the parts, too, where I think it was after he does drugs, he's, like, Mike wants to come and talk to him mm-hmm. and he starts he's like oh Odin hide and Odin's kind of hiding and then um Mike and um Mike and sorry Hugo are talking and Mike kind of talks about his own girlfriend but you don't hear her name so Odin thinks that he's talking about Desi mm-hmm. which only like, I'm not saying it was believable but I'm also kind of like confused and he also starts talking about like this wasn't when Odin was there. It was like a different conversation. He's like, why are you giving me gifts that other, like this was someone else's, like, why are you giving it to me? And I was like, why is yeah. no one confronting Hugo more? No, that's true. And I was also thinking like, 
why couldn't o or Odin should have also communicated with Desi better too? Yeah, but I, I guess like he did, but like but he just did, like, he just didn't believe her. I guess yeah, yeah, like he was so insecure and so so much doubt in his own like, and also like he's like oh I have to be a man about this, mm -hmm. but all he had to do was talk to her, and I think that was like the point too. Like he's creating all these like doubt to fuck with everyone. Um, I really didn't think this plan was gonna go through. Like, I knew it was gonna get fucked up. I didn't think anyone would die, though. And it's made very clear that people die. Um, first, it goes wrong when Roger can't shoot Mike. And they're like, okay, so he shoots Mike in the leg. And he, he was like, how are you going to say this was a suicide? If he gets shot in the leg. And then I think Mike gets the gun and shoots Roger. Mm -hmm. And then Hugo takes the gun and he's like, fuck. And he like just shoots Mike so he's dead. Mm -hmm. But one of the weirdest things is um, there's a car. So it was Mike's girlfriend was coming to the game. That's what they're, they're all going to this basketball game. It's like, you know, it's the fi finals. It's what they've been working towards. And his girlfriend comes and she's freaked out. She's like, because he comes and he's like, oh my God, like they shot each other. And she, thank God, does not fucking believe him and immediately goes back to school. I know, good for her because she was just like, nope, drives back in the other direction. Mm -hmm. And then when she drives back, um, M goes to back to Desi's room to see kind of what's going on. And it's Odin. He did it. He strangled Desi, which I didn't think he was going to. I thought he loved her. If he no, to. I didn't think he was going to either. But I guess it was one of those things where he had loved her too much where he could do it. Yeah, and for how much planning that Hugo did, like, you know, they had the cup with the fingerprints for Mike, and I was like, but Odin's not wearing gloves. And she's, like, scratching him. Like, he's going to have his DNA. He's about fingerprints. I'm sure he's about DNA. Yeah, but I was also thinking, like, if I was to take a guess, I feel like it would have also been in Hugo's plans from the beginning to not let Odin get away with that murder. That's true. To get him off the team as well. Yeah, so after this, Hugo comes back, and he, M finally understands how much of a fucking psycho um, mm -hmm. Hugo is. Like, she starts to be like, no, I stole a scarf. Like he goes and she goes like, "What? No, you're, she's a liar!" And he kills her. Mm -hmm. Um, this is Hugo because Odin. Yeah. Hugo still had the gun, and then they like fight over the gun. Odin eventually has it, and he just does this whole speech. It's really sad where he just talk about like, like, just you know, like I know what's gonna happen from here. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm not gonna let that happen. And he kills himself. It's quite sad. Yeah, no, that part's also awesome, um, awful. It has a good frame, freeze frame shot at the end, though. Mm-hmm. Um, and it ends with Hugo. So it starts and ends with Hugo's voiceover. In the beginning, he talks about, like, the hawk. At the at the end as well, he talks about how um, he's superior to them because he is a mm -hmm. hawk. And, Ho and Odin also, like, flew and people didn't understand him. But then also, he's referring to himself how he will be, like, known for this moment. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, I was just like, he just wants attention because his dad never gave him attention. Yeah. And, like, yeah, it was just, 
it was just like fucked up. I was like, Hugo, why are you doing this? Yeah, it is a tragic, very tragic where a lot of good people were manipulated into doing things that mm-hmm. they wouldn't normally do. They wouldn't normally do. Um, I do think all of the acting in this movie was really well done. Um, yeah. Especially like the guy who played Odin. It, oh God, I'm not going to be able to pronounce his name. I can't really see. Uh, no, McKee Pfeiffer, who if you mm-hmm. don't know, plays um he's in love victor tv show he plays someone's dad i forgot her name oh. um hmm. and josh harnett who played hugo i think they were both really good because i feel like for hugo's character like if he's played by like someone who's like you have to be self-serious enough to believe that this is going to be like your grand plan but and like sn- need to be enough like the snake and honestly he looked like a snake in this movie there was one scene yeah. where he's literally in the shadows i was like that's where you belong and you kind of can always like see his eyes and almost see like gears turning in his head of like what's gonna happen next. So yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think he did do thinking. a good job as well. The one thing I didn't know, like I didn't understand, was they had so many like shots of a hawk, and like at one point, one of the plot points is that he steals the hawk, which is their mascot. Like they literally bring a hawk out during the basketball mm-hmm. games. And I'm like, where were they going with this? And I would say they went nowhere with that. And even like Roger asks. <laughs> is it roger odin who asks um hugo like what's with the hawk like why did you do it and he's just kind of like it's all part of the plan oh wait yeah i kind of forgot about that part <laughs> there was like a lot of a lot of different birds in this movie because yeah and in, in the very beginning they had either it was either like pigeons or doves i forget which one i wrote that too yeah i don't know what bird it was yeah and i was trying to figure out like what exactly that represented because it was like obviously the hawk represented odin mm-hmm. and maybe they're just saying that everyone else in this world like they were all pigeons like just these nobody birds or that's how yeah. hugo had felt just like an ordinary an ordinary yeah. bird that's just like trying to fly away um yeah. but become a hawk he does talk about uh, flight in like when in his like last voiceover he talks about flight so i feel like maybe has something to do with yeah. that mm-hmm. um I do want to say one of the other parts that infuriated me in this movie um, was Hugo telling Odin, you're my brother. I'm part of you. We both know that's not true. Yeah, he's, he's out he there lying. To get someone to believe him was just, I was like, and so she was like, you as an audience member, you're like, I know you're still a liar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, he was really playing a, um, this whole movie can just be symbolized as keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Because that's exactly what he was doing here. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, honestly, overall, I thought this was very, I thought it, I liked it. Like, literally, my sister and I are watching it, and every time Hugo would do something, we'd be like, oh, come on. Like, <laughs> I think it's because both of us hadn't read Othello. We were just like, we don't know what was happening next. And so, even it was, like, that really big jump to, like, gun violence, I was kind of like, I was just like, okay, like, this is where we're going. Like, this movie is already kind of bonkers a little bit. Mm-hmm. In the sense of it's like, you know, this expectation of high school students, because like no one realistically is going to really concoct this entire plan mm-hmm. in the way that like Hugo does is not necessarily realistic, but it was still good. Yeah, no, I enjoyed this a lot more than I thought I would, just because, yeah. like I was saying before, it was just like, I was impressed by how much thought went into his original scheme. And then I also did appreciate 
Uh, it was a movie about basketball, and they showed a lot of the actual basketball scenes where one of my pet peeves is a movie about sports where they're not showing them playing the sport at all. That's um, true. I because think- I feel like uh, like it add, adds more build up to like the main finale, like the basketball scene, and then you since basketball is a very um, a strategic game, there was also a lot of symbolism and like at one point um, Hugo was told by his father that like, oh, be the decoy for Odin so like he can score and like the fact that he felt that way in his own life that like, oh, I'm just always in Odin's shadow and my father not thinking anything of me but like a decoy, mm-hmm. someone who's not there. Yeah, I agree. I was gonna say, I think also like, I think the writer put a lot of attention into mm-hmm. what um, like what happened to the fellow and how he adapted it for this movie. Because mm-hmm. you could have done like the last, you know, it could have been a Valley Girl experience where yeah. like very surface level things and you do it. And I think like obviously some of the, the deeper themes could have been explored more and they had, there was a ripe opportunity for those themes to be explored, especially in the setting. That's mm-hmm. not, I think the setting was really great. They just didn't, yeah, like my pet peeve is that like you just don't know how Odin feels about his own situation until yeah. the end. And the at the end, he's really beaten down. He's just kind of like, like I there, I know there's nothing I can do to help my case. Um, mm-hmm. And but I do appreciate that. Like a lot of the plot points of Othello are made in this movie, and I think it was obviously it's, it's very hard to do that. Othello yeah. is not a movie you think high school. No, I I completely agree with that. And I would be interested to see perhaps another adoption of Othello. Yeah. To see just what it's like. Wait, how is it pronounced? Because you pronounce it Othello and I pronounce it Othello. Uh, Honestly, I'm not sure. It could... (laughs) Reply in the comments what team you're on. (laughs) I don't think either of us know. Yeah. Um, I don't count on me for right pronunciations, but yeah, Othello, Othello... Yeah, I'm on I'm, to our next movie. A lot easier to pronounce, though. You know it. It is clueless. Probably the all-time best and most well-known um, classic adaption. I would agree. It's directed by Amy Helkling. I think. Let me get her last name. Yes. Oh, he- Heckerling. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's written and directed by Amy Heckerling. Oh. And I would say. This is one of my all-time top 10 favorite movies of all time. So, like, I adore this movie so much. But the one thing I really appreciate is how Amy Heckerling adapted Emma. Because, mm-hmm. like, I, I never read Emma, but I watched the 2020 version, which is one of my favorite movies of 2020. And every beat and plot point in that movie was adapted perfectly for this movie. And I was just so impressed. Because, like, you could have taken certain points you know Emma she's this like rich girl and she you know learns her ways and but they had so many of the plot points from the book in this movie and I was like really impressed and I I really loved it and it was a great rewatch yeah I think this was my second time rewatching this movie but I feel like with the book Emma by Jane Austen like I'm not as familiar with that I did also watch the 2020 Emma, which I thought was good. Um, you didn't like it as much as me. I didn't, yeah, I didn't like it as much as you, but I, I could still enjoy it. Um, I like Clueless, I think, more than 
yeah. the Emma 2020, though. Yeah, I just think she took the character of Emma, who's this very unaware of her own surroundings. Like, she's very rich, she's smart, she's rich, she's argumentative, but she thinks that she's living this normal life when she's not. And mm-hmm. it's really funny when she is doing her voiceover and she's like, yeah, like, isn't my house classic? And it's this huge, you know, California house. And she drives a Jeep, even though she doesn't have a license, like these things. And it was such a smart move to make her this Californian rich girl, um, mm-hmm. which I, I really liked. And she's, I don't, she's funny. Her outfits are amazing in this movie, like on point. But if you don't know what Emma is about, follows Cher in this case who's our stand-in for Emma as she essentially tries to help tries to set up her her friend um to get her to set up her teachers to get herself better grades and then try to basically do a makeover for her friend Ty who is step-in for Harriet um in this movie and chaos ensues essentially and I do like at least how the movie split up into basically like you were saying the three different sections where it's first the focus on the teacher then the focus on Ty and then finally the focus on herself and just coming into like more awareness than she had yeah earlier in the movie um and Cher is just such a good character and they do make her very likable in this which with a character like Emma if you do it the raw or Emma-esque if you do it the wrong way you can get a character where you're like oh why would anyone want to see her exceed like she's just a rich snobby girl but really at heart she does have like the best intentions and even though maybe her being so rich has made her bored yeah she's out trying to uh do things for other people yeah um and her friend is Dion um who's dating Murray and Dion's also really great. She kind of matches her a little bit in some of the outfits. Um, but one of my favorite parts that I like didn't realize this. So in the beginning of the movie, she shares share has a voiceover throughout the movie. She's talking about her relationship, Dion's relationship with Murray. She was and this happens like every week. And Dion goes, um, this like whose hair extension is this? This is some cheap Kmart. And Murray goes this could be yours and she's like I would never wear polyester and it literally was like do you know those TikToks where it's like it's a girl and, and she, she's like oh I got a, a text from my boyfriend saying um like oh are these your like the eyelashes like eyelash extensions okay. and it's like these really cheap looking and then it goes to a, a, a photo of her with like very expensive um eyelash um eyelashes and I'm just like this is literally the TikTok except happening in this movie yeah i i don't have tiktok but that does sound very similar to what happens in this movie yeah um but yeah i was just like i was like i have to write that down i have to mention it um obviously also after this happens um it's a very iconic scene where she's like oh like high school guys they're so gross like why do they dress like this um and this guy comes comes toward like because he comes at her and is like oh like do you want to hang out and she pushes him and goes as if that is always such a funny scene to just rewatch every single time like that's a quote that kind of never gets old when she says it exactly mm-hmm. um <laughs> and then we get to kind of her first matchmaking effort which is 
between her debate teacher and I think her English or I don't know her other teacher. Maybe environmental. And she does this so she can get better grades. Mm-hmm. Because <laughs> actually, her speeches in the speech class are always so funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget. Shoot, let me think. Because the first one is about having immigrants come over to America, I believe. And she compares it to, oh, well, I had this party once and a bunch of people didn't RSVP. And I was like, why didn't you RSVP? But at the end of the day, we just uh, had more food made. We just pulled up more chairs. And it doesn't say RSVP on the Statue of Liberty. And the party ended up being much more fun, too. So it's like, okay, like... A, a good point Sharon everyone clapped but the teacher was like this speech was literally like a few sentences long and where was this going and had no evidence had no evidence um, yeah exactly and that's why he gives her a C yeah <laughs> her speeches are prepared so mm-hmm. she's like you know what if he's if he's nicer if he's like you know getting laid he'll maybe mm-hmm. help all our grades and there's this great like montage of kind of their attempts like they kind of start to go on dates the homework assignments are like have fun for the weekend and during every time there's like a better where like the teacher assigns to have fun or um the debate teacher is kind of you know not really paying attention everyone's kind of starts to clap because they all know it's share and elton mm-hmm. goes in for like a very intimate hug and always kisses her on the cheek and I think that was a very mm-hmm. smart way of establishing that he clearly likes her mm-hmm. everyone else is just saying congratulations and he's like getting physical and like getting a reason to touch her and I always was like like and she clearly you can tell that she doesn't she's just kind of like okay like buddy mm-hmm. <laughs> calm down um we also get our George Knightley character in Josh which I would say is the one the one mishap of this entire movie is the fact that Josh is her step brother, not really ex, step, well, ex step brother, which they bring up a few times. They bring up a few, and they do make fun of it. Like it's it's obviously very clear. It's just slightly <laughs> uncomfortable when he still calls her father dad. Yeah, that's one of the things that I, I completely agree. I could never get on board for. It might have been good in this case, even if it's cliche. Like just make it a neighbor. Just make yeah. it a neighbor. In the book, it's um, like her brother-in-law. So it's her sister's husband's brother. Mm-hmm. Which is but like that that makes sense. In this sense, it's just like they've been divorced. And they, they try to establish it like they've been divorced for five years. They, um, but obviously like he still very much likes her father. He wants to be a lawyer. They work together. Um you know, he goes to school nearby. He doesn't really like his family that much. It just always still seemed like a brother-sister relationship to me. Yeah, it, it well, it does. I think it's the point in the beginning and then towards the end, it kind of, you know, blossoms. Um, but I like the part where he's just reading, like, um, he's just reading this big book and then he's, like, growing a, go- a goatee. And I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> Why? The goatee doesn't work. And he's paid by Paul Rudd. Oh, and Paul Rudd, he does such a, Paul Rudd's very charming. Mm-hmm. Also, another, he was, um, he was another, in, in another teen movie adaptation of, this one was of Shakespeare, Romeo plus Juliet. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we meet Harriet, who's played by Brittany Murphy. 
who also does like such a great job like everyone is cast very much on point mm-hmm. and she's this new girl I think from like New York or something and you know Ty not Ty um shares like I'm gonna I'm gonna it's makeover time like I'm bored like let's do this and I love it they have like a little montage for makeover and they kind of she's like oh I like Travis who's this skateboarder and they're really like even their first scene together they they're have vibing yeah, they're vibing, they have chemistry, it's cute, and they're like, no, no, like, Travis is basically, like, a burnout, like, you can't date him, you should date Alton, which is the worst decision Cher made, and my favorite is when they're, like, taking all these pictures, like, I guess it's, yeah, it's just pictures, and, you know, like, she takes one of Ty, and she puts it, and, you know, you hear back that Alton has it in his locker, which I was like, it's such a smart move because in both the, the 2020 version and the book, it's a painting. And I was like, I don't know why. When I watched that scene, I like remembered that it was supposed to be a painting. Like this was this whole idea. I was like, she like what her mind. Yeah. I was just very impressed at that at that point. I don't know why. They really mm-hmm. got me. Yeah, no, it's definitely uh, it's definitely tricky there. Because I feel like the first time I watched it, too, I was like, oh, wow, like, this is working. Like, he actually does like Ty. But then you learn later that, like, no, he just wanted the photo because Cher had taken it. It had nothing to do with Ty. Exactly. And then we go to a much better party, I would say. It's a party in the valley, which is also, Valley Girl was also a party in the valley. Yeah, and also uh, both of these movies, Clueless and um, uh, I was going to say Romeo and Valley Girl, duh. They both start out mall scenes too, mall shopping scenes. The California Girl. Yeah. Yeah, I think this was also the 80s. I think this was the 90s. Yeah, this was 1995, never mind. Mm -hmm. I don't know why I was thinking that, yeah, it was much later. Um, I, this party was much better than Valley Girl. Things are yeah. happening. Um, Ty gets hit over the head. Um, Travis jumps on top of people. Murray starts shaving his head. Like, much more adventurous, I feel like. Mm-hmm. I just, yeah, a much more realistic party than what we had seen in Valley Girl. I agree. I agree. Um, one of my other <laughs> favorite scenes, so when Cher has to leave the party... She keeps trying to get, like, Ty to go with Elton. Mm-hmm. Um, but Elton's like, oh, like, let me come with you. Like, I'll just drive you. It's closer or whatever. And they're in the car, and Elton's just, like, singing as Cher is talking about Ty. Uh-huh. Like, they're, like, they're both so oblivious to each other. Yeah. And they even bring that up later, where he doesn't even have a reason for wanting to, like, not be with Ty and mm-hmm. wanting to be with Cher, but like besides like oh like it just makes more sense for us to be together yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and then I'm trying to think what else happens next well right after that scene like so he makes a move on Cher which she really doesn't like and she's in the parking lot by herself and just when you think things couldn't get any worse she's yeah, robbed yeah. by gunpoint which kind of felt a little bit out of place but then it does come back again they mention it when um ty was some guys were goofing off with ty and 
like hung her over the side of a shopping mall at like a very high height. Mm-hmm. So she was talking about her. Um, she's now so popular because she went through this near death experience. Yeah. And she, even though it was very scary what ha- had happened to Ty, she was trying to bring up like, I also had a near death experience of like literally being held at gunpoint by someone. Yeah. And at this point, no one's listening to her anymore because they're all too interested in Ty. Yeah, and you can see Cher kind of starts to get jealous. And at this point in the movie, you know, she tells, you know, they like she knows Elton's not into her and she gets mm-hmm. to go into dot into Josh, which I was also like interesting. Um, but one of I think my favorite scenes where they Cher was like, Oh, how do I tell Ty? And Ty was like, What do you mean? Like he's not into me. And Cher's just like, I'm really sorry, but and her and Ken are like, Well, you're too good for him. Um, and she, she's like, if I'm too good for him, like, why, why aren't I with him? Mm-hmm. And I was like, they're right. They're feeding you lies. Yeah. Um, and then, so at the, this point in the movie, we get introduced to Christian, which is our Frank Churchill character, who in this movie is gay, not in love with, they didn't, they didn't have that other plot point, but I think it was good. It was a good, that plot point was always kind of weird in the end. Wait, um, what was what was the uh, the plot point with Frank and Emma? And Emma was there was that remember that person she makes fun of. Um, it was her daughter, like okay. had gone to school together, and they like run off together in the end. They like get married. Oh, okay, gotcha. Mm-hmm. And they also they don't have that plot point in this movie. They're like mm-hmm. the woman that she makes fun of. Instead, it's Ty who makes her realize um, what she was kind of meant to do. And mm-hmm. I love Christian's character. He's a lot of fun. You can very tell, like, he is friends with her. Um, but she obviously wants it more. She's this whole montage. You're like, this is how you get a guy's attention. And it's like, you buy yourself chocolate. You buy yourself flowers. You do all this stuff. And I was like, sure. You just got to talk to the guy. Mm-hmm. And, like, they do talk. And they do genuinely get along. But it's just not it's just not meant to be because he's gay and then um well yeah that's that's why because he's gay you can can tell this because not only like do they acknowledge it in the um in the movie but they go to a party together Mm -hmm. and Cher goes to Ty oh like isn't he falling in love with me like look how he's fending off all these girls and it's Christian literally like flirting with the bartender as all these girls yeah. <laughs> like flinging them off because he's like talking to this male bartender like that's why during this part yeah. my other I think also a really funny sh- um a couple of shots where Ty's not dancing with anyone and she doesn't know what to do with this like shawl that she has so it's like shots of like Christian and Cher dancing and I'll go to a different shot of Ty like tying the thing around her um, uh-huh. or wearing it a different way it was a couple times <laughs> it was pretty funny um I really liked that <laughs> and then Josh that's when he eventually goes over and dances with a tie and then Cher once again is like oh like that's so nice of Josh to see like that she was just lonely and like he was doing like oh Josh did that for me because he knows how much I'm friends with her yeah and this is at that point in the movie like the, the feelings like Josh can clearly tell that he likes Cher like before that um when she like comes down in her like it's a date outfit 
like Mm -hmm. Josh is the one that notices her not Kristen and he and Josh like on his own is like I should like go to that party you know to make sure that they're all right or whatever Mm -hmm. and you can tell he's like starting to like pay more attention to her in a way that like he wasn't before yeah and they're also spending more time working on one of the law cases as well because there's one scene where uh one of the associates the father is working with gets like extremely angry at Cher for Mm -hmm. making some mistake with the filing or whatever and Josh like stands up for her and that's it's kind of funny because that guy is the one who was like oh I see you guys making like googly eyes at each other kind of pointing out the like oh you guys like each other which neither of them were willing to point out to each other before before Mm -hmm. that and now they were and that's like the end Mm -hmm. of the movie essentially Mm -hmm. like after this is Ty like admits her feelings to Josh Mm -hmm. to to share and she's like oh you two like wouldn't go together and Ty rightfully like gets very angry she's like what do you mean like I'm not right for anyone I'm too good for this person I'm not right for um Josh and then she kind of realizes that Cher not that Cher likes Josh that she's just trying to like do all this stuff for herself like not necessarily Mm -hmm. for her and she was kind of like (laughs) my favorite quote is like Ty tells Cher you're just a version who can't drive that's yeah that's a funny quote and it's true she can't Mm -hmm. She's both of those things. Yeah. And I also, I like the shot at the very, or before she realizes that she's in love with Josh, where she's like, oh, like, I'm in love with Josh. And she's behind this fountain, and there's all these uh, fancy lights. And it's just such a, like, an aha moment for her. Mm-hmm, I yeah, I like the way that's done. Yeah, I love the details in this movie. Like, one of my favorite details was a lot of the girls in school have nose drops or some sort of plastic surgery. Like you, mm-hmm. you just see them in the background walking around with like something around their nose. And then also in gym class, everyone is wearing either black, white, or silver. Yeah. Which is really nice. It was just, it really like set the scene. And all of them are wearing very like, nothing is gym clothing related. It's all like athleisure. Like it looks like it's workout, but they're all just, they all just look really good. Yeah. Um, always a focus on fashion wherever you are yeah the- i'll always see it always see it and in the end Cher gets josh everyone ends up with a boyfriend the teachers get married they kind of circle back to that in the end yeah i did like how that ended yeah i agree i was like this is great i don't know this movie was just it's really enjoyable all of like the tonal cues and beats of this movie like all flow really well. I think this movie is maybe an hour and 45 minutes. It's not very long. Yeah, it does fit in like a lot of information though. And I think the reason why this rose above the rest is because it's, it is uh, an Emma adaption at heart and really follows, like you were saying, all that narrative while also being completely its own thing as well. So it can really stand in both categories, like in an outstanding way yeah and everyone was casted so perfectly like I was just watching it and I was like I had watched it a couple months ago and I was like I'm really gonna watch it again like so close mm-hmm. to like re-watching it and then I it just started and I was like yeah of course I'm loving yeah. this like, and they always talk about remaking this movie and it's like how could yeah. anyone play Cher better than Alicia Silverstone like I agree, this yeah. movie it, it it holds up it just it really shouldn't be touched I agree. They did make a spin-off, like a TV show for Dion, mm. but I think it was only like either a 
couple episodes or one season I don't remember mm-hmm. which I was like interesting because yeah also also like when she starts to become like a better person she kind of starts to realize it's like how everyone is unique in their own way which I liked yeah she was kind of like all the stuff that she was making fun of in the beginning she was kind of like wait that's actually like their strength and like mm-hmm. like something I can look towards I just uh, every I don't know you have this movie you really have to like I I feel like like having this movie be like a, a teen movie is such like a bad moniker because it's just like like teen movies are French associated with like rom-coms girly things like but why? Like, this is, it's so well done. Yeah. And I kind of feel like it doesn't oh, fall, or it's not known for being that. I, I mean, I guess we are having it on, like, a podcast labeled under something like teen romance, but it's, teen it's, movies. it's just yeah, teen movies, movies based I guess. High school. Yeah. Yeah. But I, um, I feel like people do remember this as just being a classic movie, and it does have such, like, a cult following, too. I agree. Yeah, like the clothing has come back mm-hmm. in style. Um, people want to dress like Cher, which I agree. I do like her closet in this movie. I've always been very and en- en- I loved her closet. Yeah, she talks about how she is. She's like, it's the, she's like describing her day. She's like, I do what everyone else does. I pick out my clothing. It's her literally on a computer going through her however amount of clothing that she has in her revolving closet. Yeah, she can match up her clothing, like her shirt and her skirt, on the computer screen just to see if it's going to match. And if it doesn't match, the computer will be like, give you an error message saying, no, you like you have to choose something else. Yeah, it's like a whole new system. Like someone has yeah. to someone had to code that. <laughs> it was just, yeah. Um, I that's my last thought. I love this movie. You can't tell me there's not there's anything wrong with it. No, nothing wrong with it. Well, yeah. besides maybe Josh being the stepbrother, maybe yeah. one thing. But we, you know, we addressed that. That's true. Very true. So besides that moment, I really, I cannot see. I am blocked. To <laughs> from this movie. Yeah. All right. Any last thoughts for our teen? Um, no, classic literature as teen movies. I think. I think I think I've said everything I had to say. I think Clue uh, Clueless would be I think my favorite out of the bunch, though. I agree. Yeah, that's an obvious that like, Clueless is my favorite. But honestly, I would give Othello. Like, if you haven't watched O, I would give it a try. Mm-hmm. I think it was very entertaining. Um, you know, going in with the expectations that it's not Othello, I think that's like a very clear message because mm-hmm. it that it takes plot points. It, very much like an adaptation but it's not I would say as impactful in the way I think it wanted it wanted to be mm-hmm. um I would like to give honorable mention to 10 things I hate about you a movie I also really like um and was not picked because we couldn't have three Shakespeare movies in in this podcast episode mm-hmm. and I would like to give an um a dishonorable mention to um he's uh, she's the man which is also William Shakespeare but I watched that movie recently and did not like it <laughs> no I, I like she's the man I haven't seen it recently so I don't know maybe it doesn't hold up but I recall liking it a lot when I was younger yeah. well, another man right. well then we'll have to we'll have to next episode next those episode. will be our next two Shakespeare ones and we'll, we'll do round two of this yes well thanks for listening
and follow us instagram twitter we have a website if you don't know about that follow us on letterbox on youtube yeah all the episodes are not posted on youtube i think only like five are but still follow <laughs> bye bye